Hey guys, it's Jason Bruckner with Brave Daily, and I've got Barnabas Piper here with me today. We're going to chat about his new book after getting to know him a little bit first. Uh, the book's called The Curious Christian, uh, and the I love the tagline, How Discovering Wonder Enriches Every Part of Your Life. So we'll get into that in a second. Uh, Barnabas, you want to say hey for a sec? Hey, it's good to be here with you. Uh, I think we I think we did an audio interview of some variety for a previous book, but it's nice to see you face-to-face and do this. It's great to see you and to see that we both have flannels on, right? That's right. I um, mean, it's the tis the season, which extends from about September until about April. So, you know. right. Um, so before we get rolling and talk about your book, I thought it'd be good to give some context to people who may uh, don't know you yet or who do know you and would like to get to know you a little bit more. So um, you're you're not an author full time. We're going to talk about a book, but you introduce you're introduced to a lot of different kind of content with what you do day to day. So tell us a bit about your uh, podcast life and then what you do with LifeWay. Yeah, I do a handful of different things. My full-time job is I'm the marketing manager for uh, B&H Academic and then Word Search Bible Software. So um, that is the academic book publishing side for uh, LifeWay Christian Resources and then our Bible software side. So I oversee marketing for that. That's relatively new. Uh, prior to that, I was with LifeWay uh, doing leadership development stuff. So working with churches on their leadership development, staff training, things like that. Um, I co-host two different podcasts. One is called The Happy Rant. I co-host that with Ted Cluck and Ronnie Martin. And uh, that is, it's not really a humor podcast, but it's kind of a humor podcast. We basically take sort of a uh, sardonic, disaffected look at all things church and culture and laugh at ourselves and laugh at how goofy just everything is. It's just the, the goal is to sort of have a lighthearted good time and poke fun at stuff, which is uh, which is kind of my wheelhouse. I like poking fun at stuff. Um, yeah. And then the other. Sardonic. Yeah. I write that. Down. I'm sorry. It's, my new it's word a great word. If you can work that into your uh, just your daily use. Strong. Um, <laughs> the other one is the five leadership questions podcast. I co-host that with Todd Adkins. Uh, he's the director of leadership at Lifeway. And that one's pretty straightforward. We ask five questions of either guests who are leaders or about specific leadership topics. Um, we release one or two episodes a week, and it's aimed at at Christians in leadership kind of in any position, um, but specifically church leaders are, is kind of our core audience. Mm -hmm. So you talk with leaders. Is it kind of like an open, I mean, uh, open door, like anybody who would want to be featured could, could reach out to you um, about that? Or we, that we go out and find guests who we want to introduce to people or who are currently leading. The goal is to learn from leaders who are doing something well. So uh, either established leaders of organizations or could be uh, thought leaders, authors, things like that. We're we try not to just be a publicity avenue. Uh, we want to we want to bring in people who are excellent uh, at what they do. So some of them are not necessarily big names. So the last guest we talked to is a guy named Ron Aguiar, who is um, he's a church security specialist. And so he it was it was five questions about how churches can can train people in security and be safer, uh, especially kind of in the unsettled culture we live in you know, stories about things and uh and there's you know usually it's sadly one or two tragic things that happen a year so we try to do stuff like that that's just sort of uh really really ground level practical and not necessarily high level leadership you know uh it's all tweetable and quotes and stuff like that yeah security that's pretty random are there other yeah. random ones like 
security animal or uh, yeah, so we, animal we, care. We mix, yeah, yeah, we animal baptisms. Um, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> um, no, so just that that one came up because of a connection with him, um, but also because we the goal of that podcast really is to provide leadership development and training to church leaders. And so if we find a really practical way to do that, so we've talked about social media, we've talked about books and reading, we've talked about starting a blog, we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff that's just sort of uh, pertinent to people in leadership. And then we, and then the other half of the episodes are guest specific where we're just sort of asking five open-ended questions of, of the people we have on. Mm -hmm. Cool. Very cool. I didn't even know that about the, the second podcast. So, um, the book that you just uh, published. So it's it's March 1st, right, is when the release date was. So this it is was. brand spanking new. Yep. Um, One week old I wanna, today. I want, yeah, so I want to ask, I guess with what you deal with every single day with B&H and then these conversations you have in your two podcasts, like where in the world did uh, this, this topic of curiosity come from? Um, and then, you know, why would you take so much time to actually dedicate an entire book to it? It's a, yeah, I, I can't tell if that's a cynical question or like a... No, it's not cynical. I just have dry sense of humor. I, so. I know, I'm, I'm joking. Um, well, you mentioned all of the things that I do. So I work in marketing, I work in publishing, I've worked in leadership development, um, I co-host podcasts, I write on a couple different websites, I love to read. So there's sort of this breadth of things that I enjoy doing. And one of the things that I've just discovered about myself is that I'm not satisfied just doing one thing. You know, I don't think I have such a thing as a dream job because I just like doing lots of different things. And so there's an element of curiosity in kind of the way that I am wired in that, in that sense. But mm -hmm. curiosity itself is not, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily broadly interested in lots of things. It can mean you're very, very interested in one single thing. So it, it can take different shapes. Mm -hmm. Where the book came from was just looking around at, I guess all of the itches that needed to be scratched in the church and in culture and having conversations with friends over the years and, and, and hearing, you know, reading books and, and listening to, to messages and everybody's trying to solve problems. You know, there's problems of, of cultural engagement, problems of how do, how do Christians engage the arts, problems of dried up spiritual lives and broken relationships and, uh, just boredom. People are just bored. People are constantly looking for whatever's next, sort mm -hmm. of that that perpetual hunt for something. And and as I looked around at that, I just I thought so, there's there's a thread that runs through these things, but I don't know what it is. Um, and 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 as I started to write on each of you know different subjects over over the years, and then I wrote a book that about faith and doubt that has a lot to do with asking questions. And that was kind of when things clicked because I realized questions lead to discovery and questions are the currency of, of curiosity. And so a lack of curiosity is the reason why so many of these problems exist, which means the flip side of that is that the development of curiosity um, as a habit, as a lifestyle is is the solution as long as it's done with the right godly foundation. Mm -hmm. Cool. I didn't want, I had so many thoughts throughout. I didn't want to interrupt you. So jump in. Um, I want, I do want it's to talk about show. one of the, itch, one of the itches in a second um, that you do mention that you spend some time on. Um, but that's really interesting. I mean, I think that there are a lot of times that we just get bored with what, what we're doing or bored even 
I hate to say it, and I don't know how to say it without it sounding weird, but bored with our faith. Um, yeah. And bored with, you know, I don't know, I don't, I'm not, you know, sometimes we see it as a transactional thing. Like I'm not getting anything out of this conversation, out of this daily reading, out of this yeah. sermon or, but it's, I think some of it, the core might be that we are lacking curiosity or we're lacking that desire to know a little bit more. So um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's cool. I think there's something to that. So uh, your premise is curiosity is a good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it, can, it can be a bad thing. I mean, it, curiosity can go wrong because uh, we have the capacity to turn any any good thing into a bad thing. I mean, it's it's part of our yeah. our fallen nature. And so, um, what I wanted to do is, and I don't like the word redeeming because I feel like it's. Uh, I, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful. It has a wonderful meaning. I think it's just overused. So I didn't want to do like redeeming curiosity or something. But there's an element of that in the book in trying to recapture the goodness of it, because I think in conservative Christianity, we, there's often a sense of fear. There's a sense of, uh, you know, that's curiosity will lead you into temptation. And my side of, you know, I would say, sure, but curiosity can also lead you into worship and wonder and discovery and relationships and all sorts of wonderful things as well. So uh, I wouldn't, I just, I didn't want to settle for fear, uh, and, and discard this profoundly amazing thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the first things that came come to mind, and it's cool that you touched on this in in the book. You devoted a whole chapter to it, and the the itch that I wanted to talk about a little bit was the the chapter um, inbounds and out of bounds. Yeah. And the first thing that came to mind was this story of like, uh, well, we won't really know until we you know take a bite of the apple. And there's so much that's keep kept from us, and until we go a step further and you know do this or that. But there were bounds that were there were there was a line that was drawn, and we weren't supposed to cross that line. Um, but your whole book is very applicable. Um, but this chapter I felt was nitty gritty kind of, it had a lot of application with media or with culture. Mm -hmm. Um, what advice or what, uh, I'll say advice would you give, um, to believers who, who want to stay cultured, but, uh, who want to be in the world and of the world. Right. But, uh, don't want to be too influenced by, by the world. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it, but don't want to be too. Yeah, you, too... you don't. You don't want to withdraw, <laughs> nor do you want to be sort of sucked into it. And I think there, yeah. the the tempting aspect of the world is really, really strong. Um, you know, I, I I talk about the idea of the world as an evil temptress, kind of in there, and I I do it a little bit tongue in cheek. That idea of, um, you know, sort of the the old. Uh, the old sweaty like revival preacher talking about the evil tempters and the wiles of the world and these things. But that comes from somewhere and you see it in, in so many classic stories that the pull of evil and mm -hmm. of temptation. I mean, you think about like, uh, well, who was, I think it was Odysseus and, and the sirens in you know, in classic Greek mm -hmm. mythology and how they, they lure people with what seems to be beautiful and then, and then the sailors are destroyed, uh, and, and so on. I mean, and there's a story after story after story like this, and it's, you know, it's, it's the premise of so many stories because it's just real. Um, so that's, a, that's a real thing to be concerned about, but we can't overlook the fact that, uh, you have to overcome temptations to do anything great. You know, every single one of those stories, the the temptation has to be overcome, not just not just avoided. 
You know, you can't just be like, ah, I'm just going to hole up here because then you never accomplish anything. You never do anything. So, I mean, it, you could feasibly go through life and and never face a lot of the temptations the world has to offer. But you also never offer anything to the world in that case, because what curiosity does is not only um, it not only expands our lives, but it connects us with other people's lives. And the thing that we are given to do as Christians is to be an image bearer of God. But where are we bearing the image? We have to bear it somewhere. We have to go somewhere and do something with it. And mm -hmm. that's what curiosity does is it pushes us out into the world to say, it, to just discover who, who can I connect with? What conversations can I have? What can I learn? Um, what, where do I see God's hand at work in the world? And so the, <clears throat> the advice is, yeah, know your, know your temptations, be yeah. aware. Like part of curiosity is self-awareness and your own propensity for failure and weakness. And it's also, but it's also, it has to be rooted in God's word. And the more curious you are in diving deeply into God's word, the more those temptations are going to be exceptionally obvious and much less appealing. And so it's, we treat temptation as if, uh, as if we are doomed to fall into it. And yeah. I just don't believe that's true. That doesn't mean that we, we can attain human perfection by any means, but by being steeped in God's word, by being filled with the Holy Spirit, a temptation does not rule us. We, we have the ability to say no and to press on in curiosity in all of the good ways. Yeah. That's something that came to mind too, is like if you're hit with a trial or temptation and you're not on a mission, if you're not going anywhere, then that kind of becomes your new place. Yeah, your it resets new your course. Yeah. And so there's, there's this like, if you're on a trajectory, which is becoming more Christ-like or sharing uh, the gospel with others, then I don't know, then, then that stopping point doesn't look as beautiful to you as what could be. Um, right. So it's just, just a thought. Um, yeah. So I do want to talk about a couple of the questions that some others have submitted, uh, unless you had something else to share there, Barnabas. No, fire away with other questions. I'm good. Cool. Um, there's a question that came in about, uh, vice versa virtue mm -hmm. and curiosity and, and, in how people take two different views on them. Um, you obviously side on this side, you know, the virtue side. Um, so he asks why, uh, is curiosity a virtue? And then, um, some, the presupposition of this is that some may travel down, uh, a, you know, a slippery slope into atheism. Uh, or something like that when when questions don't become answered, basically. I mean, yeah. it's like that can be scary. So any thoughts on how to back up the idea that curiosity is virtue and then in a, in the context of yeah. something like that? Well, I think um, in, in, in answering the question about like the slippery slope into atheism and skepticism mm -hmm. and things like that, I think um, let's take that from the perspective of a parent. Uh, if you're a parent of an adolescent um, who is who is just overflowing with questions, not sure what they believe do you solve any problems by refusing to let them ask their questions? No. All you do is point those questions somewhere else. All you're doing is telling them, I don't have answers for you. And the right. things like there's not enough room for your questions at the foot of this cross. Right. But so that's suppressing curiosity. Um, it, it doesn't suppress it. It's like, you know, it's, it's like smashing jello with a hammer. It just shoots everywhere. And so are you, are you going to mold this thing into something good or are you just going to splatter it all over the place by going, no, there's no room for that here. And so um, 
we have to have room for, for people's curious questions, even if they're really uncomfortable questions. Yeah. Because Christianity is not comfortable. If you are comfortable in your Christianity, it means you have not explored the Old Testament. It means you have not explored the nature of God because there are so many questions there that we can't answer. The Bible raises so many questions. Uh, and, and there are so many things that are said about God that are uncomfortable. So many things that God does that we can't explain in our reasoning. But it also says everything we need to know about who God is in his nature, in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his, in his salvation of sinners like us. And so it, you live in this tension. And curiosity is the thing that allows us to navigate the tensions. And so a lack of curiosity is not a virtue. It is, it is passivity that simply sets you up to be overwhelmed when the, when the questions come, because they will come. Trials will yeah. come. Crisis will come. Pain will come. Suffering with something bad is going to happen that will raise questions in your life. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you, you know, you dive into curiosity, the questions become a thing that you may not have hard and fast answers to, but you are at least comfortable rolling with the punches because you still have this conviction about who God is. Cause that's the first place you dove deep. You dove deep into the promises of God and the word of God. And so, so now answering those questions or, or facing those questions is not a fearful thing. It is, it's just a thing that we do. Um, and so I, questions don't lead to atheism. A hard heart does. Yeah. Like that's, and, and it's not our job to solve somebody's heart. That's, that's the thing that God does. But we can create an environment that shows them that God loves them, that reveals, that reveals how Christ sees them. Because Christ didn't condemn people for their questions. He welcomed questions. You think about Nicodemus, who was a religious leader. You think about the woman at the well who was trying her hardest to deflect from her own sinfulness. Um, Jesus embraced those questioning people because their questions were were seeking truth. The only people he condemned were the ones who who tried to squash truth. So that's, I mean, I think, I hope that that gives some answer to the idea of why curiosity is, is not just a virtue, but sort of a, a necessary heartbeat behind faith. Yeah, I think that, and something else that came to mind, I'm thinking of Don, I know he's, he's listening in and he is, uh, and this is an area that I struggle on. Um, but Don loves apologetics. He mm-hmm. loves going the extra effort of of asking those questions. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more. I'll have a conversation about things, and this isn't a hard line of where I fall. Um, and I don't know. You know, I haven't put in the work basically. And you said diving in, and every time I hear that word uh, in this context, I think of work. I think of <laughs> I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to do some research, and I'm going to look up answers, and I'm going to do more research and work or ask more questions. And I think we're also living in a culture that, that doesn't like that. It's just, I want a quick answer. I want to Google it and get on my way. Um, but it's, but it's also a culture that's not satisfied with quick answers. You know, it's, yeah, we, it's fair. we, we demand, we want quick, but then when we get it, we're like, well, that wasn't any good. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no, there's no soul. There's no meaning behind those things. I mean, it's like eating fast food. Like you just want something quick and then you feel like crap afterwards. And that's a little bit like the, the pat answers that we demand from our parents or our religious leaders, our pastors, whoever, like, no, just give me something clear and concise. And then you get it and you go, yeah, that doesn't do anything for my soul because yeah. 
because there's no richness to it. There's nothing behind it. There's no life. There's no, there's nothing that sort of supports the, um, the weight of the question like that. You, you need to have answers or something behind it that says your question comes with a lot of weight. And here's, here's a counterweight to give it some balance and to, to, to hold it up. Yeah. Um, on, I want to go ahead and move to another question. Um, on this, this idea of diving in, um, I think it was Don who asked, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think Don asked, um, how, how do you suggest creating a safe place to ask questions within your church? Do you have any, like maybe one or two application, like very specific application points for something like that? Um, or no? that is how to go about doing it starts with leaders who love questions. I mean, if, if the leadership of the church do not ask questions and do not love questions, then it's not a safe place for questions because that starts at the top down. And so there, there has to be something that fosters the environment. And it also has to be a place that, that can do this sort of two handed thing where the one hand is firmly holding to the convictions of the gospel, because that's what makes it a church. Uh, and the other hand is very open to the needs and the questions of people. And the fact that there isn't a nice, tidy three-point system for everything. You can't systematize life in that way. You can't systematize faith. You can't just say, here's the answer that you need, you know, those quick and pat answers. And so we need to be churches that say, I don't know. We need to be churches that, that allow people to come and say, I'm wrestling with this thing and not just go, and here's your solution. Because, because it's, that doesn't satisfy there needs to be a welcoming of it. And I think this is where we have to continue to go back to how did Jesus treat people with questions? Nobody spoke truth more clearly than Jesus. He, he asked a lot of questions. Perfectly. He, he, he posed questions in return. He spoke, he spoke the truth of the kingdom of God with more clarity than anybody ever has. And he embraced those with questions, sometimes literally especially children. And he, he welcomed the needs and the lack of surety, but it always was directed towards the kingdom. But his attitude of love, his acceptance of people, and his, his firm stand that this is what is true. He never compromised on anything, but he welcomed sinners. That's the model. That's the model that the church does not do well at. We're uncomfortable welcoming sinners. We're uncomfortable dealing with questions. Or we get too comfortable with that, in which case we give up our convictions. But we usually give up one side or the other. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do want to be kind of respectful to people uh, watching bit, and though. listening. Just only a little bit. Um, so we talked about churches. Um, someone else had asked the question about parenting in, like, in our homes. And in, in this particular case, it was with children who ask a ton of questions. Uh, I'm not a parent yet. Uh, so... I don't know, <laughs> but do you have any thoughts on um, how to how to foster this like curious space inside of your homes? Yeah, the, the little ones. So I have two. I have two daughters, but uh, I don't speak as an expert on this because I find that parenting is an exercise and not knowing what you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. But my parents set a really good model for this for for me. So. My dad being John Piper, you you might think that the house I grew up in had these really rigorous um, sort of moral boundaries. And that's true in one sense, because it was we knew very well what we should and should not do. 
Um, but it was not a legalistic set of boundaries. They were very explicitly biblical. So if the Bible said, don't do this thing, we, you know, we don't do that thing. But mm -hmm. when it came to things like engaging culture and the arts and movies and music and things like that, there was no like, we don't listen to that. What my parents did was pose these questions about what do you get out of that? And so it began to teach me to think about um, finding the good and the bad in art. So if I wanted to listen to some, I don't know, rock and roll of some variety, they, they wouldn't be like, devil music, don't listen to it. They'd be like, what's good about it? Which forced yeah. me to both consider that question and then be able to articulate it, which most people can't do. Most people just say, I like it or I don't like it. And there's no thoughts, anything in between. So I think that's a, that is a model for how to, especially as your kids get older, to, to, um, to create so a context. To talk to our kids. What's that? You're saying we have to talk to our kids. Yes, I mean, you have to talk to your kids, answer their oh. questions, ask them questions. I think the other thing is just do stuff with your kids. Expose yeah. them to yeah. new things. I think um, very little curiosity comes from television. Uh, that's that's just sort of an, <laughs> a, a reality that we need to deal with. But, mm -hmm. I mean, it can be as simple as going for a walk in the park because your kids will feed your curiosity because they will have questions about, like, what does that squirrel eat? Where does he go when it's cold outside? And, you know, why is the grass green? And why is there no water in the creek bed? I mean, like, it's just endless. And it's all stuff that if you choose to listen, their questions, you're going to go, I never thought of that. Or at least I haven't thought about it in 40 years. Um, and so those kinds of things, just doing stuff with your kids will raise your level of awareness and enjoyment and, and engagement with the world. But it also exposes them to things so that they go, Oh, life is bigger than my living room and my school bus and my classroom and just sort of this suburban rut that they live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and on the flip side, imagine if you just said, Hey, don't, don't ask those questions. Those aren't, yeah. You, could, the, you know, the it was like, don't ask or you just ignore them and roll your eyes. Like it, answering a yeah. question shows the, the dignity of the question asker. It validates the person yeah. who is asking. And that's true for an adult and a child. And I tell you, as a parent, it is exhausting because sometimes you do have to say, I, I can't answer any more questions right now. Like my brain is fried, but you put it on yourself, not them. So you put mm -hmm. it on yourself to say, I can't answer any more questions right now. I need a break. Uh, let's talk about this another time. Not your questions are annoying or you're talking too much or whatever. Cool. Um, I'll close uh, with one more question after this, but um, Sean had asked a question. Apparently he's up on technology and what's, what's coming up. He asked <laughs> if they, if we had technology to beam you in front of every reader as they finish the book, uh, what challenge or word of encouragement would you share with them? Oh man. Um, just, I don't know. I read, I wrote the book. It's all in there. Um, <laughs> well, why, why would uh, someone take the time to read through this? No, I think if, yeah, if, if I could, if I could, uh, I think the thing that I would want to help people see is the way that curiosity creates connections. Um, and I don't mean that in just a social way. When people think connections, they think like a social web. They, they, uh, you know, they, they think of connecting to other people in a big social network. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is that curiosity when pursued is a multiplying thing. So if you have interest in a subject, so you're a quiet, retiring person who does not have a big social web because that's how God designed you. You're just extremely introverted. That's that's good. That's what God made you to be. But you can be curious in 
in a subject or in the in the the small group of relationships you have and every time you make a connection every time you discover something it leads to something else so curiosity continues to pull you forward and multiply itself on the outside you know if if you learn something about another culture it will pull you deeper into that culture so then you learn one more thing and you appreciate one additional thing and it becomes this expansive thing that's that is how curiosity enriches every part of life it is not just because it is this inherently good thing that that we need to like sprinkle a dose of it's because it draws the richness that already exists out and helps us find more and it's true with people it's true with social issues it's true with crossing cultures it's true with literature and the arts and media i mean we live in an age where we don't can you trust the media no of course not but but they also don't they're they don't lie a hundred percent of the time, but how do you know this? A like curiosity helps figure these things out and sort through these things and figure out how do we engage this crazy political season that we're in, which is the the strangest of my lifetime. And and those connections, that expand expanding multiplying aspect are the things that I say that that's what you're missing if you don't have curiosity. You're living yeah. in a in a small, narrow, dried up, myopic life that's missing all of these opportunities for, for, uh, for richness. Yeah. So if you're listening or you're reading or, uh, you know, or you're watching right now, um, or later on at a different point, your faith isn't just what it is right now. It could be more and your relationships could be more and all that you learn could be more. So mm -hmm. continue to press on and continue to learn more. Where can, um, people learn more about you uh, to follow along in this journey? Where can they check you out online? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Barnabas Piper. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So enjoy interacting with people there. It's one of my favorite mediums. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I think it's B Piper 31 because uh, I don't know why I didn't just use my name, but somebody <laughs> was just on it. Uh, and then I have a website, BarnabasPiper.com, or you can find blog and podcast stuff there. And then if they want to learn more about the book, if they haven't already seen it, they can go to CuriousChristianBook.com. And there's actually a little um, evaluation there where people can take, it's like a seven question kind of quiz to see how curious are you. And uh, so I go to CuriousChristianBook.com and you can see more there too. Cool. Well, I, uh, I'm really appreciative of you taking time to sit with me, uh, sit with us, and I uh, look forward to this message getting out even further. So thanks, Barnabas. Thank you. You bet. Have a nice one. You as well.